everyone, and welcome to Geek Rant, episode 226, Economics 2.0, recorded February 6th, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that isn't about Linux, except that's not that anymore, and I just slipped into automatic thing. <laughs> Welcome to the Geek Rant podcast, where geeky things happen. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the command line godfather, Neves, and Seth, the gooey kid, Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, everyone out there at Internet Land. I hope you're having one heck of a weekend. And welcome, everyone. We're recording early because we want to watch the Super Bowl. Indeed. Definitely. So I'll just let that be a little nostalgia there for, I'm not even going to edit that. Uh, I fight that urge every week. And because, you know, my circadian rhythms are a bit off, we're recording the wrong night. I couldn't stop it. So That's uh, all right, Mark. It's all good. So uh, a quick rant before we move on with the topic of the so this week we're going to be talking a sort of an introduction to Bitcoin Seth's experiments with it and the sort of the fact that the barter system is making a, a return it never really um went away but it's now more common is is kind of the the thesis that I'm making up for what may or may not happen in the next hour uh, <laughs> May or may not. Okay. I like how you just let that fly. Yes. Um, so, but since I last spoke to all of you, I purchased my first quadcopter. I, I resist calling them drones, but everybody, when I say quadcopter, they go, what does that mean? And I say drone. They go, oh, okay. Um, so uh, uh, it was a little uh, first, it's a toy. It was a trainer. It's uh, it's about a foot across, weighs less than half a pound. Um, and I've, I, Took it out and played with it. The little batteries, if you've ever played with like the little Sima helicopters, that sort of thing, the batteries last eight to 10 minutes uh, and then you have to recharge them. So I consider them like the perfect office toy. You take a 10 minute break and then you have to go back to work because your batteries are dead. Uh, so I, I, I took it out when I first got it, played with it, um, liked it a lot. It's kind of cool. Only got eight minutes out. Actually, it came with two batteries. So I, I burned through both batteries, uh, got about 15 minutes of, of flight time, took it in, um, charged it up. Went back the next day on my second battery, um, got it stuck in a tree. It happens. Uh, but in the process of getting it stuck in a tree, one of the rotors got stuck. And because it was hanging, um, it was uh, off, uh, it was unlevel. So the gyro was rap uh, frantically trying to level it. So that motor, that rotor was stuck, that was, was burning and, and spinning. And it got so hot, it actually burned out the motor and melted the plastic around it. Oh. Oops. Bye-bye, quadcopter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I had already ordered a set of longer life batteries because I found them on elementopcom slash Amazon for about a buck a piece. So I bought some new batteries. Uh, so I would have six batteries, each one give me between eight to 10 minutes. So I got about an hour of flight time. Um, so since they were already on their way, I'd already spent the money on it. I couldn't just let it go at that. So I went looking for uh, replacement motors. And I don't know anything about these things. I, there may be a serial number somewhere. I couldn't find one on it. So I took the thing apart. I pulled the motor out. I measured it with a ruler. And it was about yay by yay. So I typed in those measurements um, into the everything store and found motors. for. They were four for $7. So, all right. So I ordered those. Uh, they came Friday. I, I put it in, uh, the new motor in. You know, I, I've soldered stuff. It was not a big deal. But the new motor was a little too small. Didn't quite fit in the hole. So being, you know, the redneck that I am, I wrapped it with tape so that it would fit in the thing. You know, I extended, mm -hmm. expanded the diameter. Now, but Mark, doing, I just got to say, yeah. unless you use duct tape, 
you can't claim to be a redneck. It was even better. It was masking tape. Okay, I didn't even go. find any electrical tape. Okay, that's yeah. okay. There you go. Yeah, I actually t- twisted the wires and wrapped them with masking tape because I couldn't find any electrical tape. Okay. But it's an all-plastic body, so there's nothing it's going to short out on. I wasn't too worried about it. I, you, I always have electrical tape, but my kids like to play with the stuff. So anyway, um, so I, I it, it wasn't quite lining out. I took it out to flight. It flew. But it, it, the the gear was spinning because it was it was too small. It wasn't quite uh, 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 matching up with the gear. So I brought it back in. That was this morning. I took it out and uh, brought it back in, uh, and you know did the high tech thing of wadding up a piece of paper and stuffing it in the the motor casing casing so that it pushed it up against the the cog a little better. Um, you know uh, NASA does that sort of stuff all the time. Um, <laughs> So we put it back together, took it back out. I still had three batteries left uh, worth of charge, and it was flying, and it was great. It was doing a great job, and so I got a little cocky, and I took it up really high, like about 100 feet up. I could just just sort of barely see it, um, and up there, it caught a, a wind gust that Uh-oh. pushed it pushed it off course. Um, so as I was trying to correct it, the course correction, it literally flew between me and the sun. So now I'm staring directly at the sun. I have no line of sight of the vehicle at all whoops i'm trying i'm trying literally blindly to course correct it at which point it continues to go up out of range of the remote um so for safety when a quadcopter goes out of range of remote it doesn't just fall it continues doing the last thing you told it to do which in my case was go up and west i have not yet seen it again it flew up and up and west and west and and continue to do so until the battery died and then fell probably in somebody's backyard or on their house. I drove around the cul-de-sac looking for it. Couldn't find it. The kids and I went out tromping through the the wastelands between houses. Couldn't find it. So I am now, I have extra motors. I have extra batteries. I have an extra remote. I have no quadcopter. Oh, should take your plight to social media and <laughs> there you go. see if it goes viral and somebody will help you track it down. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the things I always thought was weird about those, those quadcopters. The last thing they do is go whatever the last command was. That's silly. It should automatically try to return to the earth, even if it's at a slower descent. You would think. I know some of the more expensive ones have a, a routine built into them where they, you set home as a GPS coordinate. And if it re, if it goes out of range of the remote, it tries to go home. Yeah, the, the 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 expensive ones do, not the ones you pay thirty five dollars. Oh for. no! Uh, so it was it was dumb as a box about about blah, dumb as a box of rocks. Actually, that's not true. I, but I, it was a great experience. Experience as I was repairing this, my eleven year old was was fascinated with it, and we were talking about. I got to tell her a little bit about the history of flight. How this French guy named Bernoulli uh, figured out that if you uh, uh, shape a wing just right it flies so it was really a cool experience like that and, and a very learning experience and i told her you know this this little toy that's 30 bucks um is built on on years of of geniuses uh and it's got you know it's got uh, gyroscopes in it it's got uh, a crude gps in it so that's aware of where it is uh it's really a smart thing in this cheap plastic housing for a few bucks so it, it was you know a lesson that i got to teach and i got to spend some time with my with my 11 year old so those those things make it worthwhile but um I'm now grounded. So I, I've totally been bitten by the bug. It was such a fun experience. And I've, I've flown little the little Sima helicopters. I've owned three or four of those. Uh, this is an entirely different experience. Um, and I'm just, I'm totally hooked on on these things now. 
uh, and I'm going to have to go buy another one. But anyway, I thought I would share that little story. I, I got into the, uh, the RC quadcopter movement very briefly, and now I'm completely <laughs> sidelined again. Well, it should be fun. I'm sure you'll find another one, maybe a little more expensive and have a couple extra features, and you'll enjoy it again. Uh, I don't think I'm ready to move up. I think I still need to buy a cheap one because I'm not done breaking them. Um, oh, well, that makes sense, too. It, it takes, it's really hard, uh, much more so than anything I've ever done. I've flown uh, model uh, airplanes. My brother was big into that, and I, I flew his when we were little. I've, like I said, I've flown the little helicopters. Now, those are uh, super gyroscoped out. They're nothing like flying real helicopters. But this, um, one of the really challenging things is there's there's no defined front or back. I mean, they have stripes on them, and, and mine had lights, green on the front, red on the back. Uh, but when you rotate 90 degrees, forward is now right and backward is left and right is forward wow. and left is back. Um, and so it, uh, th this mind, uh, the, the, the inexpensive ones have what's called a headless mode that compensate that for you so that, uh, you set it in a direction and that direction's always forward. I had turned that off cause I was trying to figure out how to fly it. So that complicated the fact that once I lost sight of it and it got twisted in the wind or whatever, I literally had no idea which direction it was going. Yeah. And I didn't want to just, like, there were neighbor, there were neighbor kids out in the yard playing. I, I didn't want to just cut the rotors and let it fall. It could have fallen on a tree. It could have fallen on a person. So I was dr dr desperately trying to recover it and bring it back to me uh, and failed. Yeah. There's no way I could have even attempted to fly a drone today um, with 60 plus mile an hour winds. Yeah. I think it would have been a big kite and flown into the river. Well, they make <laughs> them that can withstand that, just not for $30. Yeah. But still, why would you take something out into the air that you're trying to play with in 50 mile an hour winds? Just not fun. <laughs> so, Seth, we talked last week about the fact that you had done your first 5K. Are you, have you signed up for your next one yet? I've I've signed up and paid for February's and March's, but I'm still doing my training, you know. And oh, I I was um I was running this morning, and I was like, I could just stop right now, but. I persevered on and I got my, uh, I'm up to 30 laps around my drive. Uh, so I'm going to get to where I can do that many without stopping, but I'm proud of myself because I'm still continuing to increase the amount that I lumber around my driveway. Absolutely. Very, very, I am proud of you. That, that sounds such a cheesy thing to say. I had nothing to do with it. There's no reason for me to be <laughs> proud, but, um, I'm cheering you on. I'm feeling good on your behalf. You well, go. I appreciate that. You're being his cheerleader. Yeah. Yeah. And I've come up, you know, because my driveway is kind of small and I, I, I would lose count if I tried it because, you know, you'll think I'm on, I'm on lap five. I'm on lap five squirrel. Wait, 10, where was I at? So I, uh, I get, I get a pocket full of quarters. I count out how many quarters, how many laps am I going to run today? So I put that many quarters in my pocket and I put a bucket up. And as I run by, I drop one in the bucket. And when I get down to zero, I've done I've done the amount of running I wanted to do. Nice. That's a good that's a good idea. That's a very yeah, good way of doing it. Because it, I tried like run keeper, but it's too small of a distance for run keeper to accurately determine how far I've ran. Um, you know, and this way, like I say, I can be listening to my podcast or whatever I'm doing while I'm running, um, or just have silence and then, you know, chunk a quarter in there and then when I get to the end I'm done. So you don't necessarily have to have a smartphone to actually get out and run. You can actually, there's other ways to do things besides these newfangled devices everybody has. 
I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't. Yeah, know. smartphone. Well, yeah, I think that's kind of mandatory equipment nowadays, isn't it? I mean, I I don't I don't walk ten steps without a smartphone at my side. <laughs> oh well, you know, low low tech is sometimes still the best tech. A couple of weeks ago, I I actually left the house without my smartphone, but I didn't get out of the driveway because my muscle memory said turn on podcast uh, audio book now, and it wasn't there. It's like oh, I got to go back in. Um, there were times I could go whole days, even weeks without being on a phone, but not anymore. It's amazing how fast we adjust to that, isn't it? But the the thing I use it for most is games and, and media. It's a, it's an entertainment device. The phone is actually the least, uh, important part of the, the, the device to me. Same here. It's, it's weird how that has all changed over, isn't it? How the phone is no longer a phone. It's now your media entertainment and messaging app all in one and we don't really care about the phone anymore yeah so a while about uh, a while ago you chris were a big fan uh, and a big advocate of copy.com and and you I kept was. trying to get me to to put all my stuff there and i'm kind of glad i didn't now i'm kind of sad that i had all my ducks in that basket because i just got a notice the other day saying that they're turning things off um, in the show notes, I have a link to the, the discontinue notice saying that, Hey, we're going away. You have, you know, it's been four year, four plus years. You know, we're shutting things off May 1st. So it's like, fine. Get your crap Take, and go. Yeah. I took my crap and it's, it's like, my, a, it's like when your girlfriend throws you out, get your stuff yep. and get out. You have, you know, until tomorrow morning. So I've taken, well, not just my stuff, but my payment that I was feeding them, I took that and I took it to a new place. So all my stuff that was hiding away in Google is now hiding or in, in copy is now hiding away in Google, my Google Drive. Yeah. Between Google Drive and Dropbox, I've never needed anything else. Yeah. Well, now with me paying the, my, I changed since I'm now paying for Google Drive for the extra storage. Um, I don't think I'll need. Anything else ever again, probably. Yeah, I have the $100 a year terabyte plan on Dropbox, and I can't envision a world where I'll need more than that. Because the stuff I put out there isn't, you know, like, for example, my my home theater uh, video collection is is almost three terabytes. I couldn't put that there, but I wouldn't put that in the cloud anyway. So, right. you know. It's just... It makes me sad because it was such a great, a great service considering when you, you know, if you were sharing files with other people, you didn't all take the hit for the, the space. It was a shared space. Right. Kind of neat. And a lot of, a lot of space too. I was up to 60 gigs before I had to start a, a free part. And then I had, I think it was another $6 a month or whatever it is for, to make it 160. So I had lots of room up there and. No, I don't. And I'm sad. <laughs> Seth, you were going to say something? No, okay. I was just going to make an alas, but I couldn't think of a uh, good word to throw after that. So, All right. Okay. No, I'm not going to say anything. Because we're geeks uh, and that's completely out of place, let's all make Super Bowl predictions. Uh, I predict uh, Panthers uh, 48 to 45. Wow. An offensive struggle. Hmm. Um, I, I want Peyton Manning. To walk away with the trophy, my heart wants that, but I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to go with the Panthers too. 
just because. But I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. I think it's only going to be like 14 to 21. Uh, see, I'm going to go Panthers. I'm like Mark. I would love to see Peyton win, but I think the Panthers are too much. But I'm going to say it's like a 27-21. All right. Um, none so of we're us all going for the Panthers. None of us will be right. I'm going to be the most wrong, but you know that's okay. That's why I went big. <laughs> well, go cool. big or go home. That's. I just don't want to deal with my bosses on Monday when I f- have to fly to Denver for a week and d- be with them in Denver win. I just, I don't know if I can handle that. Yeah, well. <laughs> at least we can watch the commercials. But now you can watch the commercials like they've been out for a week already on YouTube. So there's kind of no reason to watch the commercials anymore. Have, have you seen the Christopher Walken? I have not one? watched any of them because, yep. spoilers. Uh, yep, no. well, I, I, haven't, I haven't watched them either. Well, but a mutual friend of ours, Mark Clay, you know, he works for Kia. Yes. And so he posted this. I didn't realize it was the halftime. It was going to be their halftime commercial. But I'm like thinking, you know, I will probably at least test drive a Kia because of this commercial. Not saying I will buy it, but it was so entertaining. I'm like, you know, maybe I'll go at least test drive whenever I look to buy a new one. All right. You know, I'll say I I own a Kia. I'm impressed with them. Uh, the uh, the last time I test drove a Kia, I actually test sitted a Kia because there was not enough room between the seat and the dashboard for my thighs. So you know, uh, my my I couldn't, I, there just wasn't room. I couldn't put my knee between the dashboard and the seat. So I got out and have never looked at a Kia again. Uh, apparently, Korean guys aren't six foot five. Who knew? Go figure. Who knew? <laughs> That that was my experience with the Nissan Versa back when I was super in debt and was thinking, this is the cheapest car they make. And I got in it and I realized there's a reason this is the cheapest car they make. (laughs) I can't even finish this test drive. Yeah, there's there's a picture somewhere floating around on the internet of me leaning against a smart car. It really looks like I could pick it up and put it in my wallet if I wanted to. Um, Because the smart car is only, well, it's tiny. Anyway, uh, let's move on to some listener feedback, or as we're now calling the mini rants. We've got a couple uh, sort of cleaning out the old stuff in, in preparation for the listener feedback episode at the end of this month. Frank offers some insights for cord cutters. He says, you mentioned in episode 223 that you had a show that you missed on Fox and you resorted to BitTorrent to be able to see it. Why, no, I would never have admitted to that. I simply suggested that one might... Um, visit a torrent site to find something on the web. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to share a solution to this that I stumbled across recently. I have a Plex server running on Linux home media, media center PC. Typically, I serve up local content from the server to my TV via a Roku streaming stick. I use the Plex app on Roku, which was purchased for a small one-time fee. Recently, I was playing with the server from my web browser and noticed the option of channels. I clicked on this and started searching to see what channels I could find and what content could be served up. I was able to find all the major over-the-air channels, ABC, CBS, CW, Fox, and NBC in the list of channels that could be added. Once I added the channel, I was uh, sad to find out that I could not watch any of the content from these channels from my mobile devices, the Android phone or Android tablet. I almost gave up thinking these channels would be of no benefit to me. At last, I decided to give the Plex app on Roku, on the Roku stick a try. To my surprise, I was able to watch the shows on all channels that I had selected. Since then, I've used this to watch shows that, for one reason or another, I was unable to DVR. I found that most networks keep at least three episodes in their primetime programming for you to watch. 
Now, if I forget to DVR something, I can use the Plex to view it right on my TV, sometimes the next day. As a bonus, so far, all the shows I've watched uh, in this uh, in this method have been commercial-free. Not sure how long this function will be, be there, but it has very quickly become a... Con- Quick and convenient for me. Uh, hopefully, this may work out for you and others. Thank you for the amazing show that you produce and keep up the good work, Frank in Arkansas. Yeah, well, thanks, Frank. Yeah, I think that that function will be there for quite a while because, like, you know, like for example, CBS is trying to do their on like Netflixy type thing, but yep. the last few episodes of their current series you can find by going to their website. So, but like, if you want to go back more than like five or six, it'll say, would you like to try a week free of our all access pass? And I'm like, no, thank you. But you can, you can do those last few are there. So that's probably how the Roku is able, um, and the Plex server is able to get them. Yeah. It, it, the promise of, of TV in one place, Hulu was, was going to bring us that. Um, and they have failed. So now everything is going to be in its own, own app. And so it, just like you went to the Channel 5 to get to Fox, uh, you now will go to the Fox app. So whatever you think, you'll have a different uh, app for everything. It's the same as a channel. Uh, that's suboptimal. I wish it didn't have to be that way, but I understand it. Uh, and that's probably how it's going to be. Uh, I think yeah. I think in, in the next few years, um, everything will be available uh, on the app, including live stuff. It's just, there's just some contract stuff that we, uh, again, the technology has outgrown the law and I think we need to let the law to catch up and probably in the next five years, uh, that problem will go away and you'll be able to watch whatever you want on whatever device you want, uh, you know, within reason, whenever you want. See, I don't think it's the law. I think it's the mindset of the top level executives thinking, why would we want to, um, let Netflix pay us 10 cents for a show when we can ring 25 cents directly from the end user? And they're going to realize that 10 cents from Netflix is better than zero from the users who aren't right. going to get your stuff in addition to Netflix. Well, so I was I using think- law in a general sense. They're referring to like contract uh, agreements and that sort of thing. Law in, in that broader sense. But I really think it all comes down to existing contracts are going to have to expire. Mm, that could be. Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but I think you're right, Mark. Uh, and I, it's going to be interesting to find out what happens when all of those things do expire. Um, I mean, NFL, um, they, they signed a new contract, uh, collective bargaining agreement and, and stuff uh, just a couple of years ago and totally dumped on streaming. Uh, it surprised me. It really did. Uh, with MLB and, and NHL all taking that route, the NFL decided, nope, we're, we're broadcast. That's where our bread is buttered. Um, but now, you know, uh, primetime games are available uh, by third parties. So the, even they're loosening up on it. So I, I kind of think it's going to be as as the NFL goes, so goes everyone. Well, I think, isn't the NFL, uh, Super Bowl being streamed again this year? Yeah, all, all primetime national games have been streamed for a couple of years now. It's just the local region-locked games that haven't been. Yep. Unless you happen to have a uh, plug-in called Sports Devil on your Cody implementation. Just saying. If, if you might be interested in that. I've heard that some people have been able to watch out-of-market games using such an app. Sports but you would have devil, no huh? first-hand experience. Of I, I, I can neither confirm nor deny that I myself have ever used this method. Simply that the Sports Devil plug-in is a thing that works for XBMC or Kodi or Raspbian 
Rasp BMC uh, and uh, may or may not be used to stream questionably legal content. <laughs> cool. I might have a reason for Raspberry Pi then. Uh, okay, moving on. David calls me out on Star Wars Episode <laughs> Seven. Hey guys, like the new sh- uh, the new show has started off strong, and I'm happy to say it's exactly like EDL, but with a new title, which I know is exactly what you guys were aiming for. However, I have to call Mark out on something. Mark, I'm sorry. I like you. I like most of your opinions, but there's just something we can't agree on. Star Wars Episode Seven is only decent. It's shot well. It's beautiful, but it's literally a retelling of Episode Four. You acknowledge this, I understand, but I think one of us is misunderstanding something. You say that 7 is a love letter to your childhood. Basically, it's supposed to be a parallel of Episode 4, and no, it's not. It's supposed to be a continuation of the series, and it's hard to see that when I've already seen the exact same movie with more love put into it than this one. All through the movie, I was struck by one thing. It was missing something. There was the text crawl there was the music there were the wipes the lore sort of made an appearance uh, but the love was missing from it as terrible as george lucas is at telling long co- cohesive story he's great with concepts he just can't flesh them out to save his life the prequels are better movies than episode seven them's fighting words boy um, <laughs> with the same <laughs> with the same amount if not more references to the original trilogy uh, and the the reason why is because george had the passion to make them he wanted to see them through and see them done the way he saw it and episode seven i just felt like it was done in a spirit of well everybody's wanting a new one so better just pop it out i do enjoy one quote though uh, quote, there are a number of callbacks and even direct ripoffs from the originals where at any other movie i would attack those as being derivative and unimaginative end quote oh mark Whatever shall we do with you? All right, I'm done attacking Mark. One last question before I go. When's the next episode of Sound and Fury? I need more science and tech information in my life. Have a good week, guys. David. So this one's been hanging out in my inbox for a while. We just passed the uh, two-month time frame of Star Wars Episode Seven, so I felt like this minor spoiler was safe. But I'm sure I'm going to get an email about that. What do you mean it's a copy of episode? Yes, it is beat for beat. If you watch the two side by side, uh, you could tell it's it's a retelling of that story, but it's more of a history repeats itself sort of thing, which mm-hmm. I like. I like that. I'm sorry, David. We're just going to have to disagree on that. I think it is a far superior movie to either of the uh, any of the three prequels. Um, and the third of the three prequels was the best of them, but it's still not as good as any of the other movies in the franchise. And you know what made the third one the best? It had the least amount of Jar Jar Binks of any of the prequels. <laughs> so any movie, David, when you said the prequels were better, I mean, was Jar Jar Binks so bad to you that it just refused to implant upon your memory? There's no way that would be better. So, but I, I do agree with you that I did feel like something was missing. Um, you know, so, but yeah, no, they weren't better. Um, and this one was fun to watch, but, and it makes me, it really makes me want to see the next one. Yeah, I'm already on record on mine. I wasn't very happy with it, but we'll see what the next one goes. And hopefully I can, my, my love for Star Wars will be rekindled in the next one, but, uh, I'm not holding my breath. There was no mention of Minichlorians and no Jar Jar. That's a win. Yep. Definitely I'll agree with the Jar Jar. Uh, I'll agree with the Minichlorians, but Jar Jar I actually thought was kind of funny when I started looking at it from that other 
thought process that I brought up before. Yes, yes, that he's the most evil creature in the world. And uh, there's some evidence to to think that Lucas may have wanted to go that route. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the backlash was so terrible. There is one... Th- I don't know where it is anymore, but there was a post on the internet where they wrote like how Jar Jar Binks was brought up on war crime charges because, you know, he's the one who instigated the vote that brought um, Palpatine to power. And uh, even though he was led into it, but it was, it was just this, and it was one of those things that was written as like a news story. It wasn't written to be funny, but it was hilarious to read. And it made the prequels worthwhile of sitting through Jar Jar Binks so I could laugh at the absurd <laughs> awesomeness of that story. So, it, you know, just, I don't know, maybe do a Google search for Jar Jar Binks uh, brought up on war crimes or something and see if you can find that post. It it makes the prequels better. It really does. And and I just got to say one one last thing, David, and then we'll leave this go. I didn't feel the love in the prequels. I just didn't. I felt the cash bo- uh, register ringing. I felt, okay, we need cute characters that will make good toys. We need more robots yep. because those are good toys. We need more vehicles because those are good toys. I, I heard nothing but cross-merchandise cash uh, register tones. I didn't feel any love in those movies at all. Um the 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 i mean star wars is known for wooden performances out of good actors uh and that's partly uh, lucas's processes I, I read uh in a book recently that i, I told about i talked about on the show uh, how star wars conquered the universe um in the particularly two and three the actors would get their scripts the morning they were shooting they would shoot alone or with one or two people on a green screen set, and then the scripts would be taken back away from them because he was so afraid of things getting out. So they didn't have a chance to live with the story. They they didn't have a chance to practice. They didn't have a chance to to uh, develop their characters in any way. They were literally just reading lines or, or reciting lines. So that explains uh, how some some good actresses and actors, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, Natalie Portman, how these really good people could turn in such terrible performances. It's because of the way lucas orchestrated everything so yeah um i i get that i accept that but also at the same time it's sort of part of the star wars universe if a well-acted star wars movie would seem out of place uh, <laughs> it just wouldn't fit so even episode seven has some really terrible acting in it but at this point again i i have to cast it back to it's it's a it's an homage it's a genre thing now yeah well and plus good acting would make you realize the subpar acting of all those others and it would diminish them and that would draw some ire i think all right we'll move on from there uh seth is going to tell us this week about his recent experiments with getting money getting something for nothing digital currency without actually doing any uh physical work so uh we we just have one link that he's going to talk about but this is just going to be a a discussion of his experiences and then next week we're going to have miles on um who uh was with us a month or so ago and talked about ces you know and he went off on bitcoin miles is is as close to a bitcoin expert as i can afford on what i pay people so he's going to (laughs) come and regale us so this is just consider this uh a uh a uh sweeping of the the home plate like an umpire does in preparation for miles to step it up and hit it out of the park okay yeah um okay first of all you know you need to know what currency is currency isn't 
a dollar bill that you pull out of your wallet. A dollar bill is an example of currency. It is something that you are using in place of something else. I've done work. I've gotten paid for it. I take that money and I go do my business elsewhere. That money is a currency that I've invested my work in. Now, there's a lot of places on the internet where you can, um, you can, you're not going to like, there are full-time job openings, you know, work from home and that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of, um, there's like apps you can get on your smartphone that if you have them on while you're watching TV, they record what you want and advertisers like that. And you can make a little bit of money. You're not going to make much, you know, maybe 10, $20 a year in gift cards or something like that. There's other websites that you, you watch videos, you click links, you take surveys, you get paid a small amount a dollar or two dollar for surveys, the other things you build up points and you can trade those for gift cards. So Bitcoin is digital currency. There is no actual coin that you can get. Um, there are companies that make like this coin, but it's basically just has like a address imprinted on it. So anyway, this only exists digitally. So if you lose your digital wallet because you forgot your password or you forgot what website you registered it under or what email address you use, then that money's gone. You can't get it back. It's not FDIC insured. So if you put, it's not like money I put in a bank. If something happens to that bank, the government has backed my money. This is only worth what other people say it's worth. So the first thing I did was I went and I created a Bitcoin wallet. Um, it's a digital thing where, you know, you, uh, you accumulate and you hold Bitcoins and you can conduct transactions from there. Um, there's lots of different sites that can do this. Um, some of which are better than others. Like everything else on the internet, you have to do your homework because there are legitimate sites out there and there are scam sites out there. And there's some that are trying to be legitimate, but they might not make it because they didn't have the infrastructure in place. And, you know, websites can get hacked and all that kind of stuff. So buyer beware, do some research. I use coinbase.com has my um, wallet. And it turns out that it's really pretty cool. Um, if you go to our forums link, I put a, um, a document together, says Bitcoin referral list. And these are all the things you can do. And, uh, if, if you use these links, it takes you to the same website that you could go to without the link. But if you transact there, it basically gives me a little referral fee. And this is no different than a bank will give you a toaster or a $20 bill if you refer somebody who and they open up an account with a minimum balance. So that's the same type of thing. So I am in the process of linking a real life bank account with Coinbase. There's two different ways you can do it. Way number one is to input your information in Coinbase and they can authenticate immediately. And, you know, I'm tinfoil advisor guys. So I said, no, thank you. Option number two is they make two tiny deposits at total less than a dollar. Then once those deposits are made, I go and verify them. And then I can use that account on Coinbase to convert US dollars into Bitcoin. So I'm in the process of waiting on them to make deposits. So I don't know how that will work yet, but that is my goal. So can you have it go straight to some other thing like, like PayPal or something? Or does it have to be a bank bank? 
Coinbase has to be a bank bank. There yep. are other ones out there that you can do PayPal. Um, some of them have an option for credit cards. Um, Coinbase has like a fallback. You can use a credit card as a secondary thing. But so, yes, they are out there. I just chose Coinbase and Coinbase doesn't have that. But there are ones that do. See, I'm a Coinbase user, too, and I have mine already linked. And it worked. It, it was pretty much uh, just like how PayPal does a, links their your bank account through PayPal. The same mm-hmm. type of transaction happens with Coinbase or with uh, Bitcoin or no, Coinbase. Blah. Um, and it was pretty painless. And I've actually done some transactions where I've, uh, I've traded some U.S. dollars for some Bitcoins. Um, I still don't have a coin yet. I have fractions of them. Uh, but yeah, so far it's been a, a pretty easy base of, of getting or of purchasing fractions of a Bitcoin. Uh, I have yet to go to use some of that money yet on the site, but it does seem to work pretty slick, at least for changing U.S. dollars to Bitcoin. Have you gone the other way, Bitcoin to U.S. dollars? I have not yet. No, there hasn't been enough. I don't have enough really to make the value, you know, the transaction to be really worth it for me right, right now. And the, the Bitcoin hasn't either increased or decreased enough to, you know, I think I'm ahead right now in the exchange, but you know how fast that can change. Right. Okay, so um, the next thing I want to talk about is how you can get Bitcoins without spending money. You do have to spend your time, um, and these are called faucet websites. Think of like a faucet that drips. You know, if you, you stand there long enough, you can get things. And I have made, there are literally hundreds of faucets out there. Um, there's two different ways that faucets operate. Number one, they will hold your money until you accrue a big enough balance. Like um, I use these couple that if you get a total of 20,000 Satoshis and a Satoshi is one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin. So it's the smallest unit of Bitcoin measurement. And there's transaction fees if you go from site to site with Bitcoin. And so if the transaction fee is, say, 10 Satoshis, and the Bitcoin factory or the faucet gives you 11, then it's the transaction fee is, uh, makes it all but worthless. So, um, this one site I use and there's links on this. It's called paid books where, and it's basically every 10 minutes you can turn a page and get so much. If you reach their minimum threshold, they pay out on Tuesdays. Um, and you can just accrue and it monitors by your email address or by your, um, pay, uh, Bitcoin wallet. And once you get that threshold, then it will pay to you. Um, the other way is they use a micro payment site. Um, there are two of these that I've used. One is called Paytashi and the other is called Faucet Box. So you go to a website and I'll just look on the thing, getbitcoins.xyz. So, and if, again, this link, I have a referral. If you click on this referral, it takes you to the same thing and you put in your wallet, you do a little captcha that proves you're not a computer. And I would say click on a video or click on a link on these because that's how they get money to refill the faucets. And so anyway, this will put some Satoshis in your Paytashi account. And then once your Paytashi account gets to a high enough balance, it will then pay your wallet. So um, 
you know, it kind of, it kind of aggregates all these little tiny pieces until it gets to a big enough piece to justify sending it to your wallet. So Paytashi is one of those and faucet box is the other. And if you go like say eight hours a day and you do nothing, but you click on these things and you put in your wallet and you do the captcha and you click on a link to help refill the site, you can make maybe a dollar. So <laughs> I would not suggest that somebody, you know, you're not going to get rich um, quitting your job and going to these faucets. But, you know, you do it a little bit. It kind of gets you used to the thing. Um, I built over the course of a week and a half about three, three and a half dollars somewhere in there. Um, part of it, I'm waiting for all the money to come in. And then once you have those, then, you know, you can do whatever you want with them. You can just kind of sit there and look at them or you can do things. So the next thing I, I did, and again, this is given for entertainment and educational value only. <laughs> this is not a, um, I'm not recommending this. Don't scrape every penny you have converted to Bitcoins and do this. I did this with money I made by clicking on faucets and, I'm going to, I have decided there's an amount of money that if I lose it, I'm okay with, I'm going to invest that and do these. But these are websites that think of it as the stock market for Bitcoin. Um, you know, you can buy a stock, it could go up a hundred percent today and it could be worthless tomorrow. That's the same thing on these. Um, and if you look, I just go to our website. Uh, click in the forums, look at my things so you can see what I'm talking about. The first one listed in this little section is forexparadise.biz. Um, the last two are bithourly.net and coin-face.com. And again, if you click on the links I provide and you decide you want to take a little bit of your play money that if you lose it, you're not going to be mad and you invest, then you get paid extra to your you get paid extra. So it's you're like investing. So, um, I did bithourly.net and coinface.com. Be, those were just the first two I found. Now in the show notes, I have a website, all hyipmonitors.com that will kind of tell you the reputation of these. And it come to find out these two that I found on my own have some of the lowest reputation, uh, on the industry. So it could just be because they're new and they don't have the reputation yet, or it could be that once they get enough in their system, they're going to close up their shop. And if I lose the dollar I have invested in them, you know, Hey, I lost a dollar. It's, it's nothing big. Um, the the top two here they have a good um they have a good metric like the this website thinks they're good there's they've paid out they have a history of doing that and again if you click on the link that i provided you get the same amount but it just kind of gives me a little referral bonus but and again you don't have to do that and don't don't raid your 401k and go invest in Bitcoin. Just I'm just kind of doing it to see how I do. I did the bitcoins.work and it's paid. The one thing about this is it pays directly to my wallet every hour on the hour, a little bit less than 1% of what I invested. So again, you're, you're not going to get rich on this. Um, I mean, if you wanted to take a thousand dollars, then maybe you would get rich, but you know, maybe the site wouldn't exist tomorrow. So again, so I'm looking at uh, Coinbase right now to uh, interrupt your your flow a little okay. bit, um, and 
uh, I went ahead and signed in. I linked my bank account. Um, and what I notice here as we're signing up is it, it's a clever idea. You you can buy, uh, you can set a recurring transaction. So you can buy uh, a certain amount of Bitcoins every day, uh, hour, day, week, two weeks, month, or quarter. Um, and with a, a fluctuational sort of thing like Bitcoin, that seems like a really good idea to put $5 in every week. Um, nobody's going to miss $5 a week. Um, well, if you miss, if you're going to miss $5 a week, you shouldn't be messing with Bitcoin. Let me put it that way. Right. There you go. Um, so, uh, and that gives you, you get to take advantage of the fluctuations, the downs and ups. Like right now it's 373.58 per Bitcoin. Uh, last month when miles was with us, it was like 450. So you've lost money there, but it's, that also means it's a great opportunity to buy. So Mm -hmm. just wanted to point that out there. And yeah. also, once you create a Bitcoin wallet, you can use that anywhere. So I created it using Coinbase, but it gave me this long uh, um, MD5 hash or hash of some sort, uh, right? And I can use that anywhere. That is my wallet. I, it's not tied to the Coinbase website. It, it that may be unclear at the at first blush. Yeah, you know, think about. We talked a little bit about this last week. If I write a check to somebody, I've given that person my bank account, my signature, and all the information they need um, to go out and impersonate me somewhere. Um, if I create a Bitcoin wallet, all I've given is this hash that I can authorize this website to take so much, or I can say, send Bitcoin to this. All they have is this number. And so from that standpoint, it is much more um, secure I mean, there are other ways where you could say it's more vulnerable, but from that standpoint, it's a lot more private and identity theft proof than even using a credit card. All right. There you go. So <laughs> to con- continue your flow. Well, I was, I was kind of reaching the end. Um, okay. You know, y- y- there are many places that take um, Bitcoin. And I remember a story a couple of years ago, there was a professional team. And if I remember it was basketball that you could purchase tickets to their games in Bitcoin. Um, like for example, Amazon, they don't take Bitcoin, but there are websites out there where you can purchase an Amazon gift card with Bitcoins. Mm-hmm. So as more people use them, the more, there will be more impetus for people to take them. So, you know, it's kind of like, it's the early adoption problem. We have this great thing, but nobody uses it yet. Nobody's going to use it till more people use it. So this just kind of gets it out there. And maybe just, again, I, this is not Bitcoin 101. This is Bitcoin remedial. So whenever Miles is on next week, you'll go, oh, I remember something about Bitcoin being digital currency. And then he can build on it from there. So questions, comments, guys? Well, you you started out... um making the distinction between uh, the, a bill, a, a dollar and currency. Talk a little bit about uh, currency or, or, or we, we can't like currency is anything that somebody considers a value. Um, the only right. reason diamonds have value is because we think they're pretty um, yep. or gold. You know, they have other values like diamond is really hard. So it's good for drill bits. Gold is, is really conductive and really soft. So it's good for um, electrical things. But before it was either of those things, it was because it was pretty. Um, mm-hmm. Iron pyrite is also pretty. Uh, fool's gold. 
but right. gold is not pretty because you can't work with iron pyrite. So it's the secondary characteristics of, of gold that made it valuable. It's, it's malleable. You can easily mold it into, you know, rings and jewelry or whatever. Uh, so iron pyrite is as pretty as gold, uh, prettier, actually, I think, uh, but it's hard to make a ring out of. So if you want to wear something pretty, it's important that you, that you be able to make a ring out of it. Right. Um, so, uh, wampum right uh beads uh wooden beads at one point was currency mm -hmm. uh uh pearl m mother of pearl uh the inside of a an oyster shell at some point was currency and it really all comes down to utilitarian second pretty first um and and then at some <laughs> point down the line it we realized as uh, as a society and all societies sort of made this uh this realization independently that it's it's difficult, tedious, and dangerous to carry the thing that's of value with you. So you'll carry a voucher, a marker of some sort that represents mm -hmm. the thing of value. Hence right. the reason in, we have dollars. Right. Right. And in, and in the case of a dollar that is backed by the strength of the United States government. you right. know, Originally, China, it was yeah. this dollar equals this much gold. Right. Yep. So you used to carry gold dollars and silver dollars. That literally, that's what that was meant. So uh, an amount of gold and amount of sur uh, uh, silver equal to a dollar. Those are heavy and those are cumbersome. And and you you get hit one of those with a bag of one of those in a fight, and it'll break your jaw. So the they got tur <laughs> turned into paper currency. Um, but it was backed by at any point I could take this dollar, this piece of paper and get a, a, an amount of gold by it. And, and that was the case in, in the U S up until the seventies. And now yep. it's just based on good feelings. <laughs> right. <laughs> the underlying strength of the United States economy is what, um, provides value to the paper we carry. And, you know, you think about that. I work for, or you know, when I had a job, I worked for a paycheck. And so I did my, I put in my effort at this job. Now this job doesn't provide me, you know, they didn't give me, they didn't pay me in clothes, in food, in, in, you know, a covering over my head. They, per, they paid me with money. And then I took that money which that money was a representation of work I've already done. And then I go over here to a store that sells things that it's like, you know, hey, if you want to have a shirt, that's the equivalent of one hour's worth of work. Or, you know, Nike Air Jordans are the equivalent of 10 hours worth of work. You know, Walmart no-name brands are the equivalent of five cents, five minutes worth of work. And they fall apart just as fast. So the, I'm carrying that currency. And again, whether that currency is the actual money in my pocket or the amount in my checkbook or debit card or credit card, I did work somewhere or somebody did work and gave me the money. I had the benefit of work that I am then trading for goods and services. And so the great thing about Bitcoin is, you know, I can acquire Bitcoin. You know, Mark said something for nothing. I didn't have to spend money, but I put the time in to do this, or I can spend money representing time I've put in at work and get these and do other things with them. So the bad thing about Bitcoin is it could go belly up tomorrow because there's no guarantee of anybody um, backing it and saying that I guarantee this Bitcoin is at the very least going to 
be good for a can of tuna fish. You know, it's not backed by a government anywhere. And so that's one of the reasons that people are afraid of it. But it's also one of the reasons that people like it is because I can get something with a Bitcoin from somebody in, say, China or Russia, and I don't have to pay the transaction fee to convert my money to their money. Uh, I can just do it in Bitcoin. And therefore, it's a way to kind of, I don't see Bitcoin being the only currency, but I see it having a place has an additional currency, you know, like there's dollars, there's euros, there's, um, you know, rubles, pesos, wands, uh, yens, all those, then there'll also be Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Bitcoin has actually shown up in movies too, where there it's the de facto standard for payments. Um, I'm trying to remember the movie not the top of my head, but it's, it's not coming up, but I noticed it as, as a, in the movie as a trope. And I was like, wow. Has, has Bitcoin got to the point now where it's, it's okay to put it in movies too? Uh, yeah, there was kinda... a, there was a short lived TV series called Almost Human that I liked, which meant that it was going to die. Um, yep. uh, and the Bitcoin was the, the currency of that future imagined there. Uh, so it, it is, it is known by people. Uh, and, and I, um, it, to go back to what Seth was talking about, the, the value of it, the Bitcoin right now is worth, worth less it is there, there's it's only worth what you're willing to pay for it um yep. but the same is true for the u.s dollar in in many ways and and but there i don't know i'm not an expert i don't know how many currencies or if there are currencies in the world that are actually backed by value but even even when the u.s was on the gold standard or the silver standard silver was only valuable because we said it was there, when you look at it, when you break it down to the v- barest essence, there is nothing that actually has intrinsic value except food and water and shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, work in itself has no intrinsic value because if you spend all your time digging a hole and I don't need a hole dug, uh, I might actually call the police on you for digging a hole in my flower garden. So you can't, you can't say work has intrinsic value. And the way to make Bitcoins worth more is actually to use them. If you're like, I'm going to corner the Bitcoin market, there's going to be a total of 21 million. I'm going to try to own 10 million. Well, then nobody else is going to want to do anything in Bitcoins because somebody has them all. Um, there was a time for a large portion of history um, or United States monetary history. I mean, gold was always more valuable than silver, but they would kind of go. They were kind of at roughly the same level. And in the United States, a group of Texas millionaires, the Hunt brothers, decided we're going to corner the silver market. And they bought silver, bought silver, bought silver until they had a sizable percentage of the world silver supply. And what happened was they thought this is going to go up and we're going to be worth a lot of money. But no, because these people were cornering, they're just like, fine, we just won't use silver. And the silver price plummeted and plummeted and plummeted. And I remember it, I remember it middle school, just because I'm a weird geek. I remember it was news when the Hunt brothers sold off their last major silver holding. And after that, the silver price started to rise. Um, and it's still nothing compared to gold, but it went from stuck in about the five to six dollar range it's up to about 20 now because silver's out there and it's in the market um if you 
get bitcoins and turn around and use them, then that gets more people in the system and that makes them more valuable because more people are using them. So anyway, that's just a little bit of economic theory and practice. Uh, And the the Bitcoin, uh, and and I'm sure we'll talk way way more about it with Miles, the way it's engineered, there's there's good math to it and there's good economics to it. It is a non-inflatable currency. There is a point, there is a, a ceiling of Bitcoin that can be created and then it stops and then there will never be another Bitcoin created. Uh, mm-hmm. the, one of the problems with, with any governmental currency is at any point, the government can just fire up the presses and print more dollars. Um, and, and all governments have done it. And, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, Greece pretty much melted down from that practice. Eventually their own currency was, was worth less than the paper you would buy to wipe your butt. So you might as well use the money to do it. You know, um, so Russia had the same problem too long yeah. ago. Uh, Mexico has, has had that problem. So the, once you stop tying it to something and just start printing money, uh, money is only valuable as long as you don't realize money has no value. But once you start, once you make it apparent that money has no value, it loses its value. So the Bitcoin right now is valuable because people don't know it doesn't have value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people are speculating. Yeah. They got in early. I mean, just five years ago, one Bitcoin was $1. Uh, you know, it's gone as high as a thousand, I think close to it. Maybe, maybe no, it was, it was like 13 or so whenever that first crypto virus hit that really, and that's what kind of brought Bitcoin from the, the geek world and made the rest of the world aware of it. Then the pride, then Bitcoins shot up in value because the only way to fix your computer was to, to you know give somebody a bitcoin and yep. so therefore they became super valuable and then the price crashed after that but it never went back to those other levels people realize oh you can use this for stuff and so yeah right now it looks like bitcoin is valued at 375 um yeah 378 is what i'm seeing so yeah close to it that's another thing like credit scores it varies depending on where you look Yep. Well, and if you watch like what is the dollar in relation to the euro or, you know, what's the price of a barrel of oil or, you know, what's the value of the stock market? It's it's if it's if the market's being traded, that value is never the same. It might be in a short range, but it went up a point. It went down a point. So this is exact same thing is bit because bitcoins can be bought and sold 24 hours a day, seven days a week that price is going to fluctuate 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Usually it's going to be within a range that will kind of move up and down gradually, but there can be spikes. So, you know, even, even as we've gone on, the price of Bitcoin has changed over a dozen times on the website we're looking as we've started talking about it. Yep. Well, let's hope that we're actually causing the change. You know, people are going to buy some Bitcoins now because we're talking about it. And if you do, send some our way through the, you know, donate link. Yes, I, I sometime back set up on on the website where you can send me Bitcoin, um, and I think one person total miles has ever done that. Um, so it, and that's cool because I, I thought he was cool, and then I realized that he he was giving me stuff that had no value to him. Because <laughs> if you bought early, right, and it's gone up, it's it's the the win, I'm not criticizing Miles, but it's it's kind of the thing of of if you um, ha- were sitting on a diamond mine 
and didn't know it. And then one day somebody discovered diamonds. You did nothing. You just suddenly have value. And so people who are Bitcoin coin mining or bought early on kind of had that same windfall. It's like, oh, this thing that I put no effort into now cost a lot. So uh, th those are things that that uh, is true of any currency because it all it is all a, a collective delusion, really. Yeah. And without currency, you you're going back to the old barter system. I have something of hard value. You have something of hard value. We trade those things. Um, and we decide among ourselves what hard value is. Craigslist is the ultimate uh, example of modern barter. Um, you it know, is. I, I have a, I have a boat. You have a car. I live in the desert. You live near a lake. Let's trade. Uh, and those kind of things go on all the time. The boat may be more valuable than the car, but if I live in the desert, it's of no value to me. So the, for, eons of of human development the the barter system is the way things worked you know i'll trade you a goat for two chickens um and and it was money is a relatively recent invention is the point i'm making yeah and if you want an interesting kind of theory google craigslist red paperclip it's an awesome story this guy took a red paperclip and his goal was I want to trade this red paperclip for a house. Now, obviously, this red paperclip, because it's not like a gold paperclip painter, he just a regular paperclip. So he traded, he had a job that he traveled with. And so he was like, I'm going to do this on Craigslist, but I don't want just somebody to give me a house. I want to make trades that are comparable in value so it was like a paper clip for like a pen and then he kind of built up and built up and it was just you can read the history and i think he ended up getting it was like a foreclosed on house that needed work um but at one point he like had a snowmobile and then he had like a generator and he had a van and he traded like the van for a year's um rent prepaid on an apartment and then I think he was able to take that and I think that's what he traded for the house but he made a series of trades that were equitable you know maybe one's worth more a little bit but again you know if I've got a hundred dollars and my car ran out of gas and it's the middle of night well a ten dollars worth of gas that somebody else paid ten bucks for is worth a hundred dollars to me but he made a series of pretty equitable trades it ended up with a house that's bartering um so and that's i just think that's a cool story and it shows some skill for the bartering yeah because um, some people just don't have bartering skills and i hate to say it and agree with it but i'm one of them i, I can't barter to save my life usually there was a show on for a while i don't know if it still is called barter kings and that's what these guys did and like one one episode they started with a uh, power drill that was just laying around the shop and ended with an airplane, a, a purse, you know, a jet. Uh, right. And you know, it, it's, it's doable. Right. And it's, and nobody along the line was cheated. They went from a drill to a jet. It was an airplane. I don't think it was a jet, but went from a drill to an airplane. Um, and not at any point did anybody get cheated. That's the value of, of bartering, mm -hmm. you know, and, right. Um, these, Chris, uh, it's important to develop those skills because when the zombie apocalypse comes, the, the good feelings about dollars aren't going to be there, there anymore. And you're going to need to learn how to barter. Well, it's not that I don't know how to barter. I just, I don't barter well. So, uh, someday I'll figure it out. Someday. Someday yeah. your prince will come. 
I love bartering. It's fun. I don't know how good I am at it, but even if I lose money, the enjoyment I got doing it kind of makes up for that. So, oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think we're, we're I'm going to call that discussion ended. Um, you know, the value that the discussion was on value. Uh, and in this modern world, it's difficult to know what value is. Like, for example, uh, if you're a, a Clash of Clans player, those emeralds, I think it's emeralds in that game, are of value. And people shuck out not hundreds, but thousands of dollars for in-game content. If you're a World of Warcraft player, that um, sword is value. And you can actually yep. sell that sword on eBay. Mm -hmm. So the understanding the concept of value is more important than understanding the concept of money. Because um, my contention is that people who put money into Clash of Clans don't understand the concept of value. They may understand what a dollar is, but they don't understand value. Um, or they have a different take on value than you do. Right. That, which means they, they don't understand it. If you disagree with me, you're wrong. I thought we had that covered. <laughs> we were, yeah, that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I played games like that for a while but it got to the point you know you're just waiting too long to do things unless you pay it's like i'm not gonna pay because this game's not that valuable to me exactly so you know if if it's value you know i don't know i just have a i have a higher bar for things like that um than some people because well it it does come down to value and so you know like i say if you want to give bitcoins a try um there's you can just google um, Bitcoin faucets. Uh, you can go to our forums. I've put together a list. This is not an exclusive list. Um, but you know, and, and you can get enough to kind of see what the process is and kind of get a feel of, you know, what's this Bitcoin thing about. And then if you decide you want to throw some money at it and, but again, this isn't your college fund. This isn't your kid's college fund. This needs to be money that you would just like you know I, I could go out for a pizza or i could cook something at home and take that 10 or 20 bucks and just play around in here maybe it'll turn into something or maybe it was just you know the thrill of learning something new yeah it's uh you know you you put 200 dollars into it and then learn all about it that that's cheaper than any college class you'll ever go to yep yep um all right so i uh, I'm just gonna two new two new stories, Seth. Pick two. Uh, actually, I'm gonna pick one for you because I think it's interesting. Uh, Google has has for a while. Uh, when you try to search for a site that's known to have viruses, has been blocking it. Well, now it's going one step further, and I love this. Uh, deceptive practices are now being blocked. Meaning, if you go to say um, download.com and there's 57 download buttons on the page. Uh, Google will warn you before you go there. Hey, this is a tricky site. Yeah, um, well, Source good. SourceForge is another one like that. And I, I, you know, this is one of those where, you know, we were talking a little bit about freedom of speech and how the website um, has like a almost a duty to present you everything. But the same token, I don't want to have to go. Which download is it? Because there's 17 different ones here, and they all look the exact same. You got to go hover over. Does this result in a new page or whatever? And uh, so Google has taken upon themselves that they're going to start. You know, they're not going to block you 
I think um, at first they're, they're just going to warn you and say, hey, guess what? There's a be careful on here because there's a lot of download buttons and not all of them are legitimate. A lot of them are ads posing as a download button. Which is great, but in the end useless because you're still going to go to the site because you still want the thing. Yeah, right, but if it's if it's stopping you from clicking the, I, I, is it going to actually stop you from clicking the bad download no, button? It's it's just an interstitial page between the link you clicked and the page you're going to, warning yeah. you that if you continue to this site, dis, deceptive practices are going on at this site. Okay, well that's kind of nice, but I think it's going to get in the way. I mean, just like the, like, if, if I need something and I can only get it from SourceForge, who is now doing their stupid, uh, multiple download things, actually, they backed way off on that. Uh, I'm still going to go there. So I, I'm not sure how much value, to go back to that word, this actually offers, but it at least shows that Google is trying. Well, you know, on one hand, I think it's going to, the threat of this will help clean up some of the practice. One would hope. Yes. Yeah. So, well, cause like I went to download.com as we speak and well, I didn't get blocked on this one. You have to go to a link to download.com, not just type it in. Oh, okay. Well, like if you're search, <laughs> like you search for something that's on download.com is my guess, not just typing in download.com. So in Google, you search for, um, WinRAR and click the download.com link and then you'll get the interstitial. I could have done some research, but I didn't. <laughs> Download.com. I wonder what happens if I... <laughs> That's kind of funny. So I'm in my Firefox, and my uBlock Origins says I can't go to that site at all. Because hey, it's... Well, I can't go to Download.com because badware risks are here. <laughs> funny. <laughs> That's funny. Download now. It's not. Oh, interestingly. So I just took, just did what I said. I typed WinRAR and the first link was to download.com, but it went immediately to a real download page. So download.com may have already shown some contrition as a result of this. So yeah, in that sense, I think it's, uh, it's for the, it's for the children. You know, <laughs> we don't want the terrorists to win and, you know, Jesus won't bless you if you don't repost this seven times. So, okay, Seth, pick the the next link that you want to talk about. Okay, I um, I think Microsoft um wants your data underwater. This was an interesting story I came across on Tech News World, and Microsoft has this project, um, Natic, where basically they are saying let's build data centers and put them underwater because it will reduce the heating costs it's cooler under the ocean than it is right at the surface and then um it'll protect you from protect the drives and everything from cosmic rays and so much of the world's population lives so close to the ocean that you know it's not really going to be all the extra cabling to put them under like 100 feet of water so they did this test process and um it it worked okay i guess and um Anyway, I just thought it was kind of cool. Um, it'll free up some real estate of above ground. All those data centers won't have to be taking up space. You know, we can put more strip malls and Starbucks's and apartment centers and other things to close and go out of business. They won't have to be data centers anymore. And this will definitely 
ramp up the security from physical attacks. Oh yeah. Right? So it's not it's not going to present prevent cyber attacks, but uh, unless you're a, a scuba diver, the the risk of physical I can't speak today. The risk of physical compromise is much lower. It's a neat idea. I think they're going to find it not cost effective. But then again, cooling is very expensive. So um and water having a density uh several times greater than that of air uh is a a more effective cooler. So it it may work. In fact, especially if they were to sort of route the seawater through cooling pipes uh, and like enveloping the servers in it. I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't read the specifics, uh, but there is definitely value to storing your stuff underwater. Uh, there's also, you know, um, danger in that the slightest compromise of the physical platform can lose all your data. Right. And, you know, another thing, they can use like wave or tidal power to power them directly. Oh. So, you, you know, go. it would, again, I don't think that this would, every data center will now be underwater by the year 2050, thus saith, you know, whoever the next president is. But I think it could be, you you could make a legitimate case for having a data center underwater. I don't disagree with you. I, there's there's obviously enough merit for it for Microsoft to to put the money in. Google has been investigating all kinds of weird stuff, um, but the the fact is, um, this world, this electronic world that we live in, generates heat, and heat is the enemy of electronics. It's yeah. uh, you know, it's the 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 yin and yang of the modern life. So. Until we figure out a better way of passing elect or of uh, passing electrons between things. We're kind of stuck there. Have you seen the PC case that you fill with peanut oil? Yep. No. Yeah. So uh, you, uh, it's a, a sealed case. You fill it with peanut oil and you drop your stuff into it, and you don't need any fans because the oil dissipates the heat because it's it's you know even several times more dense than water. Uh, it works in the lab setting. Uh, I don't know that anybody's actually sold one. Uh, of course, there's the the issue with if you spring a leak, you now have three gallons of peanut oil in your carpet right <laughs> but it was just a neat experiment it's been tried uh, with purified water trouble is getting water pure enough not to short out the electronics because pure water is non-conductive right um, but finding truly pure water is very difficult and then there's also one i think it was mineral oil was another one that did it i think it was mineral oil it makes sense yeah i've seen huh. those a couple of times i was like you know that'd be kind of fun to build one just to do it but Man, I don't know if I could justify the cost to just say I did it. Because yeah. you yeah. couldn't have you couldn't have a USB port. You couldn't have any kind of hole in the box. Yep. So it it limits your options considerably. No, you you would just have to. I mean, you have to be able to like have a USB hub or something in there because you've got to be able to connect peripherals to it, like a video case or whatever. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I'm sure it was done somehow, uh, sealing on the outside of the connectors, whatever. But anyway, just just a thought. People have. This is not a novel idea. Was my point. People have been trying to figure out ways to dissipate heat uh, for as long as we've been harnessing the electron. Yep, pretty much. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the future. You know, when you start, you know, futurizing, trying to think of what would ha- how they're going to do things in the future. I wonder how much of these. You know that we're saying is is you know fringe cases like the uh, the mineral oil or pure water, you know that's all 
you know, it, it's it's interesting to see it, but what would actually happen in the future when we actually have some new f technology that lets us have, you know, our super high-end graphics with, you know, no heat or little heat? I don't know. We're, we're going to have to get away from, from, I mean, essentially everything we do right now by harnessing the flow of electrons, we resist the flow of electrons. Mm -hmm. Resistors, by definition, produce heat. We're going to have to get away from that before we can make the next step. I don't know what it is. I'm not that smart. But some sort of, you know, before the Starship Enterprise can exist, we're going to have to move away from electrons. We're going to have to get energy some other way. Dilithium yeah, crystals, not with sand. <laughs> I think we're, it, it's fossil fuels that we need to get away from first. I think that's, right. that's gatewaying. Okay, um, random stuff. Moving on, Seth, what happened this week in history? More randomness. Okay, um, February the 9th, 1927, David Wheeler is born. And this is a big deal. We need to throw a huge party for him. Um, David Wheeler introduced the concept of a subroutine to computer programming in 1951. He concentrated his work on assembly programming language and invoked the subroutine in his Wheeler jump technique. For this work, Wheeler received the IEEE Computer Society Pioneer Award, and he was born this week in history, 1927. Thank you, David Wheeler. So a subroutine is I'm doing something. I get a signal to go over here and do something else and then come back. A go sub or a go to uh, return um, if you're, you know, in the old GW basic days. Uh, somebody would have come up with this because it's just one of those ideas you have to have for modern programming. But he was the first. So good on you, David Wheeler. <laughs> yep. Thank you for doing what you did. And it's if you've ever worked with any really constrained uh, languages that don't have any kind of subroutines, so frustrating. Um, to to not be able to go do something, you know, uh, everything has to be done a while loop or whatever. Uh, just incredibly frustrating. And I'm sure that when Wheeler came up with this idea, uh, the 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 programming community bowed down to him as a god. And every one of them, first they slapped their foreheads and said, "Why didn't I think of that?" And then they said, "Thank you for making my life so much easier." I'm sure. <laughs> I'm not a big programmer, but I recognize this is a bit, very big deal. Yeah, I've, I, I, I am not a programmer either, but I have enough experience to know that in in constrained environments, when you can't do it, you really wish you could. Um, all right, and Seth, since I forgot you last week, so sorry. He 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 verbally berated me for thirty minutes after we went off the air for having forgotten his show closing spectacular. So please, sir, don't beat me again. What is your your show closing spectacular? What do you have to lower my productivity so that you look like a better hiring option? Okay, well, I just carried forward last week's um, koalas to the max dot com. Um, this is there's nothing special about this. If you're very if you know somebody who is OCD. Um, Take it to this website. Come on, Mark. Click on it. Click it. Click it, Mark. Do it. I can't do it. <laughs> what it does is it takes you to a website that has this one huge dot in it. You click on that dot. It breaks down into four smaller dots. You click on one of those, and it keeps going, keeps going. And whenever you get all of them done, you are looking at a pixelated koala bear. And it's not the same one. So, like, if you go out and come back again, 
it gets you a um a different koala picture. So anyway, that's all it is. Koalas with an S to the max.com. Um for your OCD, if you want somebody with OCD, if you want to get them back, just tell them to go to this link and uh they will have to go and make sure every pixel is done to the smallest thing so that they can see what it is. Well, if you're, if you're mentally broken as am I, um, you, you can't leave a dot, not the same. It's not about seeing the picture. You have to, you have to have uniformity. And as long as there's one dot, that's not the same size as all the other dots. You have to do it as I am doing right now, because I did Uh click the dang link. Um, (laughs) so for the rest of this show, I will be dragging my cursor across this picture until I get every dot the same size. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, last week, I didn't know any better, so um, I don't blame you for that one. This one was all on me because I knew better. <laughs> Koalastothemax.com. Uh, I guess I have to come back later and do a show, uh, but it's eating at me. There's this little voice in my head screaming right now. The dots aren't the same. <laughs> So this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. If you would like to be uh, featured in our mini rants section at the top of the page, if you would just like to tell me how wrong I am about movies or currency or the value of Clash of Clans or whatever else, uh, you can do that at elementop.com. Click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Fill out the world's hardest CAPTCHA. Um, then uh, fill out the form. That will send a nicely formatted email that gets priority in my inbox. Lest you think I am... Um, filtering your email and you want the guys get to get something directly, you can send it to geekrant at elementop.com using the mail client of your of choice. Open up the terminal, type pine, and see what happens. Uh, or mutt, um, <laughs> or the bat. Uh, anyway, um, uh, geekrant at elementop.com goes to all three of us at the same time. Or you can call 559-IAM-OP uh, and leave a voicemail on our Google Voice uh, number and, and we will play it on the air so we we appreciate hearing from you um what do you think about this whole theme thing should we keep doing it should we move on have do you have a suggestion for a theme do you have a suggestion for anything uh, somebody who th- you think should come on that who uh would uh, would do well to be uh interviewed on the show whatever whatever you want to say elementop.com is the place to say it also you can check out seth's forum link where he's got all kinds of good bitcoin stuff uh somebody sent me an email recently and said do you have a subreddit the forums here are pretty dead and I didn't respond back, but my mental response was, well, if we created a subreddit and it's the same people, the subreddit would be dead too. The problem is not the location. The problem is the people. Um, you're, you're not feeding back. You're not communicating. And that's fine. It doesn't bother me. But apparently it did bother this person. I also want to make one more plug for the Castback app, formerly Zcast, formerly the Everyday Linux app. It is, uh, the, it is now in the Play Store. You can find a link to it on our website where you can, uh, make comments in real time as you're listening to the show and other people will see those comments in real time as they're listening to the show it's my dream app that has finally come to fruition it's uh it's still in beta but it's in the uh, public beta now instead of private go check it out don't let beta scare you it's it's incredibly stable across all platforms we've tried. Rarely are there any crashes or anything like that. I mean, it does happen, uh, and we're working on those. It's beta because all the features aren't fully implemented, but it's it's growing. It's still a solid app. It's it's worthy of being a daily driver app. So uh, check it out, uh, awesome. the Castback app. You can find that on Google Play or just click the link. Click the link on uh, on the show notes for this episode at elementop.com. So Chris, Seth, any other final words before I say goodnight? 
Sorry, I'm also filling in all the dots just so I can say <laughs> I did it. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm going to say have fun, guys, and we'll see you next week. And go Broncos. No. No. So we'll see you next week because that ends this episode of The Geek Rant. Yeah.